you'd be forgiven for thinking that people mostly just keep coming to Luxembourg. Sometimes people also leave Luxembourg. But very rarely do people leave Luxembourg to live on a boat. My name is Elias Pengobitens and this is Lux Ventures, your podcasting guide to navigating life in the Grand Duchy. In this podcast, I trick unsuspecting expats into sharing their experience with Lützeburg. What to expect, how to adapt, when to give up and where to hold on. At the very least, I try to provide some emotional comfort. As cosmopolitan as Luxembourg has become, it is no substitute for actually seeing the world with your own eyes. And I literally mean seeing the world, as my guest in this episode has seen a good part of it, mostly in places that are deep, blue and pretty much devoid of other humans. Marian Golubic is a mild-mannered Slovenian who is just about to finish his stint working for the European Commission and who loves playing badminton. But once Marian gets on board his sailboat, he becomes a full-blooded captain who is used to giving orders. So, what's a man like him doing in a landlocked country like this? Marian Golubic, or should I say Captain Marian Golubic, uh, you're... Um, Obviously, you live in Luxembourg, but um, actually, you live on a boat. I thought this uh, interview was going to be in Slovenian, but actually, it's a big surprise. All of a sudden, you start speaking English to me. But okay, that's that's fine with me. Yes, in fact, uh, I'm retiring by the end of this year, and I'll be moving uh, onto my boat, which is at the moment in Nomea, in New Caledonia. Uh, well, we'll get to the boat in a moment or two, but um, first, tell me, how did you end up in Luxembourg? What brought you here? Work, of course. <laughs> I uh, used to work for the European Council in uh, in Brussels, and then I lost my job there, and uh, in 2013 I was hired by the Commission and moved uh, to Luxembourg. Um, there's sort of a contention between Luxembourg and Brussels, both in terms of, on one hand, quality of living, and on the other hand, of costs of living. Uh, what do you? What's your take on the two issues? Well, it depends on your personality and your age, I would say. If you're a young person who wants to go out every evening uh, to a nightclub or a disco, then you prefer uh, Brussels, of course. But if you're looking for uh, a higher quality of life and good transportation infrastructure, and especially good uh, sports and recreation infrastructure, then uh, you would probably prefer living in Luxembourg. Speaking of sports, um, you come highly recommended as a badminton coach as well. from uh, I hear from, as they say, uh, well, well, well placed sources. Um, why badminton, and how did you end up playing this particular sport, which is, I mean, it doesn't have the following of a football or basketball. Uh, it was very circumstantial. When I moved to Ljubljana from Canada and started studying at the Faculty of Philosophy in Ljubljana. I 
I met these people who were my neighbors and they were playing uh, badminton in a, in, in the, in a club, uh, Club Olympia and uh, I, uh, I just wanted to socialize with them and then I started playing as well. And I've been playing badminton for what for 30 years now, and eventually, I uh, my technique, badminton technique, improved so much that now at this moment I can teach my colleagues how to play badminton. So we meet every Monday at one o'clock at the Kokoschauer Center, and we we train and play badminton for one hour. And full disclosure, I have played on occasion with you as well, uh, and uh, I must say that you are an excellent coach, although not unlike curling, a sport of my choice, then I get muscle ache in places I didn't know I have muscles, so there's that. Um, you mentioned Canada, um, did that, so I mean, apparently moving around the globe is sort of in your blood, if not in your um, circumstance, as you, as you said? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, I tend to move around a lot. Uh, um, I started counting my moves, how many times I moved, and uh, when I reached the number of 30, I stopped counting, which means that I moved more than 30 times uh, in my life. Moved as in the from, French state déménagement? Yes, from from one place, from one address to another, from one place to another. I moved more than 30 times in my life. I have to ask this now. In moving to Luxembourg, did you find the um, bureaucratic side of it cumbersome? Yes, I did. I did. Um, it's, well, bureaucracy is really bad pretty much everywhere. You know, people say the worst bureaucracy is in France. France is really the worst. And another person would say, no, it's not true, it's not true. It's Germany, you know, it's Luxembourg, whatever. But it's pretty much the same everywhere, you know. It, it, it's just the bureaucrats have to justify their their existence, so they have to show that they are working, so they create a lot of paperwork, you know, just to justify their existence, I think. Um, and, and outside of that, Luxembourg, um, well, you said you've been here, what, um, doing the math six years now. Um, has it grown on you, or have you at least come to tolerate it? Some people I talk to sort of just blend in in Luxembourg and carry on with their lives as if nothing's changed. How did this seasoned mover as you are, uh, how did you cope with that? Well, I must say that I was pleasantly surprised. I moved from Brussels to Luxembourg and naturally I compare my life in Luxembourg with my life in Brussels and I can say that I'm much more satisfied and happy to live in Luxembourg. Uh, it's just that Luxembourg has such, uh, such great uh, sports and recreation infrastructure which is what I like to do. I don't like to go to discos every night, you know, so <laughs> it's uh, 
I have to say that I prefer Luxembourg uh, to, to, to Brussels uh, because the standard of living is higher, everything is really clean, everything works, you know, transportation is uh, pretty much free. Uh, so yes, uh, I prefer Luxembourg for sure. In um, well, when you're not working, and I I haven't known you for a long time, and I don't know a lot about you, but I get the impression that when you're not working, you're basically on a boat. So and that sailing constitutes a big part of your life, and it will so increasingly. How come? Um, I am retiring by the end of this year and uh, you know people think when I, when you retire your career is over what do you do then you know for me it's just the other way around my career is my boat <laughs> my travels with my boat this is my priority number one in life this is my career in in question uh, question marks okay more or less uh, and uh, my job is uh, very secondary to me it only my job enables me to make enough money to to realize my dream which is traveling uh, voyaging with my boat around the world um, how did you get there i mean did you just you know wake up some one day at the age of 13 and said oh no i want to be a sailor when i grow up i mean is this how you pictured yourself being when you were you know, growing up uh, when i was 13 years old my family moved to canada a place called usuyas and there was this lake and there was this little sailing club and I became a member of the sailing club and I started sailing and uh, I just fell in love with sailing uh, but it was a small lake and we sailed with small boats and I outgrew the small boats very quickly I was very voracious I was very hungry I wanted more I wanted I wanted sailing to be a way of life not just you know you on a weekend you go to the shore you go out sailing for two hours you come back you go home and you watch television i want i wanted sailing to be my life which means living on the boat experiencing nature and water and waves and the, and wind the whole day long and live uh, in harmony with the elements because most people when they speak of sailing or think of sailing usually think of the um, congested waterways somewhere in the Adriatic or, or, or Mediterranean uh, in a windless on a windless hot windless day motoring around from island to island from port to port looking for the best place to bathe but uh, it's, it's something completely, completely different to you. How, when did you realize that this is what you wanted to do? Well, when I lived in Slovenia, I was a member of a sailing club, and this is what exactly what we were doing. Every May and September, we would go to Croatia and we would go island hopping. It's called island hopping. In the morning, you get up, you have breakfast, 
and then you sail or motor for two hours and you get to another place, you drop your anchor and you stay there overnight. It's, it's nice, you know, it's very uh, sociable. You meet people, you, you, you eat together, you sleep on the same boat and every evening you get drunk and then the next day you sail for two hours and then you stop again, you drop your anchor and you sp spend the night uh, on an island and so on. For me, there was something wrong with that. I wanted an adventure, a, a real adventure. You know, not a chartered adventure, but a real adventure. And that is called uh, blue water sailing, which means when you leave, you leave for a faraway destination across an ocean on the other side of Atlantic or on the other side of the Caribbean and you have to sail night and day, night and day, night and day. That's quite challenging. It's not island hopping, it's blue water sailing. Uh, and you have to depend on your, own, uh, on your own sailing skills and on the seaworthiness of your boat. Uh, it is challenging, but it brings also certain pleasures, like, like fishing. <laughs> While you're sailing, you're trawling a fishing line behind you, and sometimes, if you're lucky, you, get, you, you catch uh, uh, a 20 or 30 kilo tuna, and you're up to your eyeballs in, in fish meat. <laughs> I guess when you when you get back to to, to to solid land, all you want is a decent steak. But um, so you mentioned seaworthiness, island um, blue water sailing. What does that? I mean, what does that present to you? I mean, is is that fulfillment? Is that just challenge? Is that um, work? So to speak, it's it's uh, it's both it's pleasure and a challenge. It's it's a matter of increasing my comfort zone. You see, uh, some people love sailing, but all they do their whole life is is island hopping. I wanted to expand my comfort zone and challenge myself and sail across the Atlantic, and I've done that, and and I and I have also sailed across the Pacific. And it's very challenging. It's a very satisfying experience. You're in. Oh, so you're. If my geography is correct, your boat is right now in South Pacific, parked in South, New South Pacific in New Caledonia, which is part of France. It, New Caledonia is situated more or less between Fiji and Australia. And. Say you're in the middle of the of the Pacific Ocean, trolling a fishing line, hoping for that catch, you know, to feed you for the I don't know what, day or two, three. What do you think about? Huh. <laughs> uh, most of the time, it's a psychological problem. It's like in the army. <laughs> uh, you have to occupy yourself to make the time pass if you're doing your military service, for example. I've done my military service in the old Yugoslav army. And it, you know, so you know that you will arrive at your destination in 10 or 14 days. So you have to occupy yourself by 
by certain uh, duties, activities, tasks during the day. You read books, you meditate, you listen to music, uh, you, you, you prepare your food, uh, you sunbathe, uh, and things like that. So, at the time, something, there's something that happens to time. Time slows down completely. And you simply have to do things that satisfy you um, and just uh, become introverted, maybe philosophical. And um, that's how time passes. And when you get to your destination, it's, uh, it's a very <coughs> rewarding experience. Is that an acquired skill? Did you have to learn to sort of let time flow? Or is this something that came to you naturally? Um, no, it wasn't natural. No, you, you, you're, you, I was forced into it. <laughs> I, I decided to, you know, sail across the Atlantic 22 days, and you're simply there is no other choice. There's nothing you, you have to. If uh, when you leave, you know that. There are no other options. You cannot just drop anchor in the middle of the, of the Atlantic and wait and then say, okay, I'll go back. No, you have to go. And um, slowly you accept this and you learn how to occupy your time every day. And eventually you get used to it and you, be, you, 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 you get to like it eventually. Does this help you or, or change you on land as well? Of course, of course. <clears throat> you become much more tolerant, I think. Yeah. And you do all of this alone? No, no, no. Sometimes I do it alone. Uh, but usually I have a crew of two or three people. One, two, three people. And um, what happens if things go wrong? Because. As the saying goes, anyone can sail a boat in fair weather, but sometimes, you know, on sea, things happen. Yeah. What's your contingencies? If you get sick, if you have a, a malfunction, you're still connected to the world, right? Of course. Uh, today, in the olden days, crossing the Pacific was a matter of life and death. But now, with modern technology, uh, It's 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 almost a piece of cake. <laughs> if you have enough experience and if you have a seaworthy boat, then it's pretty much a piece of cake for uh, an experienced seaman such as course, yourself. Yeah, yeah. For for a novice, then it, it would be a life-threatening situation, of course. But for me, it's it's uh, it, it's a pleasure cruise, you know, because I know when. I can sail across the Atlantic. I know when there's no danger of hurricanes. I prepare my boat, so it's it's a seaworthy boat, and I uh, I hire a crew that is dependable. Uh, and uh, and in, I mean, therefore, it's it's really an a real adventure. 
a challenge at the same time and also a pleasure cruise. And you leave, you leave, I'm sorry, you leave off the sea, I mean, in terms of food, because provisions, the space on the boat is scarce and you can only take as, ma as much provisions as you can at the beginning of your cruise. So, as for the rest, you leave off the sea. Um, you, you have to... You have to have enough uh, food and drink on the boat to last through the whole journey. Okay. You cannot depend on fishing and rainwater, <laughs> you know. You have to have enough beer <laughs> and French the wine. Necessities, you know. yes, of course. Yeah, these are the basic necessities <laughs> of life, you know. Uh, and uh, in addition to pasta, rice, uh, canned, uh, canned fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. So tell me about your boat. I, if I remember correctly, it's a catamaran. It's a, yes, it's a catamaran. It's a Lagoon 400. Quite a big boat. It has four double cabins. Each cabin has a separate uh, uh, bathroom and shower. So I can have uh, six guests, guests on board. There's lots of room to even to walk around, to lounge around and just take it easy. So it's a quite a comfortable boat. But also quite, an, um, quite a responsibility for you as a captain if, if you have uh, other people, I mean for the crew and guests or whatever. That's... I, I, personally I'm not sure if I would be comfortable, you know, taking care of other people. How do you manage that? Uh, you have to trust other people as well, you know, uh, they're not children, you know, if, if I, I've had children on board as well, but they were with their parents, so their parents took care of their children. Uh, if you have a, a crew of four or five people, then well, there are certain procedures. Before you leave, you explain the safety procedure how to put on the life jacket, when to put on the life jacket, and I am the captain, there's no democracy on board. No, it's like in the army. No? Mm -hmm. Whatever I say as a captain goes. There's no, okay, let's vote on it. Uh, who is yeah. for, who is against. What if no. we do it that no. way? Yeah. By that time, we are capsizing already, so <laughs> no. No, there's no democracy mm -hmm. on board, okay? And uh, so, now you said you're uh, retiring, li leaving the service of, of the European Commission, and uh, but you're not going to be really living on a boat, are you? Or yes? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How's that going to work? It's, it's a big boat, so I have no other address. Uh, I am I am forced to live on a boat. But at the same time, I want to live on the boat. So I am moving all my possessions to New Caledonia. I don't have much. I'm, I'm a minimalist, okay? I'm a minimalist. I have no furniture. I have a bicycle, an iMac, a sleeping bag, a backpack, some clothes. And a badminton racket, I presume? Uh, I have four badminton rackets that I will take with me and all the shuttles I will leave to my, the members, to my colleagues uh, that I play badminton with every Monday at one o'clock. 
And that will be, uh, until you decide otherwise, that will be your life uh, come January. That's correct. Uh, my immediate plan is to uh, get the boat in shape, repair the engines, uh, um, clean the hull of the boat and get it ready uh, for long distance voyaging. And my first, in January, February, I will cruise uh, New Caledonia and that's during the hurricane season. It doesn't mean that a hurricane will happen. It's called the hurricane season because there is like a 10% chance that a hurricane will hit New Caledonia. So if I just look at the weather report, no hurricane around, so I go cruising around New Caledonia. When the hurricane season is over in, in April, then I head, I head to Australia. It's a 10-day cruise, nothing special. Are distances longer, I mean, greater in the Pacific than, than, than uh, in the Atlantic? I mean, because you said 22 days to cross the Atlantic, half of that just to get from New Caledonia to Australia? Yeah, well, if you consider the size of the Atlantic and the size of the Pacific, there's a big difference. The Pacific Ocean covers pretty much half of the globe so yes the distances are longer before we finish our incredibly interesting conversation you're living Luxembourg now but for any anyone coming to Luxembourg what would be the maybe three pieces of advice that you would give to, to prepare them for what's waiting for them here well my advice number one would be as soon as you get to Luxembourg start creating your own social network your own circle of friends and acquaintances unless you wanna <laughs> live like a guest worker you know be working in Luxembourg and and traveling to your mother country every weekend, spending a lot of time and money on that and being frustrated while you're working in Luxembourg. So my advice is, as soon as you get here, start, just hit the social networks and find your points of interest and start uh, uh, meeting people, creating your own circle of friends and acquaintances. That would be my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice would be buy some real estate. Um, if you're renting a place, it's not a very good idea because Luxembourg is extremely expensive. At the moment, the mortgage conditions are fantastic. If you buy a small apartment, you get a mortgage, you will only be paying like, like 0.9 or 1% or, or 1 interest rate on your mortgage. Uh, and when you, when, when you finish your stint in Luxembourg after three or four or five or six years, 
you simply sell your real estate and you make a profit. <laughs> That's my advice. This, my third piece of advice is get active, physically active. Find uh, some recreational activity, some sport that you like to do. Uh, not something that would be a drudgery that you would hate doing, but you know you have to do it because you're sitting behind a computer every day for eight hours. No, find an activity. It may be uh, yoga or badminton or or Zumba or uh, walking in the park or picking mushrooms. Just find an activity that get uh, that gets you out of your office, out of your home and just do some physical activity it'll improve your quality of life and it'll improve your health captain Marin Golubic, thank you so much um, fair winds and calm seas and uh, good luck well thank you very much for the interview and uh, uh, I'll be, I'm looking forward to having another interview when I uh, come back from my uh, world circumnavigation it's a date and this is it Thanks for tuning in, or downloading as it were, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Lux Ventures. If you can, please leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Don't forget to like our Facebook page and feel free to ping me on Twitter at Pengovsky with any comments and suggestions you might have. Lux Ventures will be back next month. <laughs>